Hear then the word of the Lord God from the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah. Then the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. Therefore, behold, I will once again deal marvelously with this people, wondrously marvelous, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be concealed. Woe to those who deeply hide their plans from the Lord, and whose deeds are done in dark places. And they say, Who sees us, or who knows us? You turn things around. Shall the potter be considered as equal with the clay, that what is made should say to its maker, He did not make me? Or what is formed, say to he who formed it, He has no understanding? Is it not yet just a little while before Lebanon will be turned into a fertile field, and the fertile field will be considered as a forest? And on that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. The afflicted also shall increase their gladness in the Lord, and the needy of mankind shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. For the ruthless will come to an end, and the scorner will be finished. Indeed, all who are intent on doing evil will be cut off, who cause a person to be indicted by a word, and ensnare him who adjudicates at the gate, and defraud the one in the right and with meaningless arguments. From the New Testament, Romans 11, 1 through 10. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars. And I alone am left. And they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In the same way, then, there has also come to be, at the present time, a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. What then? That which Israel is seeking for, it has not obtained. But those who were chosen obtained it. And the rest were hardened, just as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see, not, eyes to see not, and ears to hear not, down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not, and bend their backs forever. Thus far the written word. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that your word shall not simply be words that we read off a page, but your spirit will in fact use them to make us to understand the gospel hope that is ours in Christ Jesus. Therefore, through the prophecies and the types that you have sent through the Old Testament, make us to understand what it was you had promised, and to see in Christ Jesus the fulfillment, the yes and the amen of all that you had promised your people and all that you have given to us this day. Amen. Please be seated. 
Returning again to the book of Romans, we find ourselves in chapter 11. And again, this is part of that very controversial, and I would say very misread and misinterpreted section, where Paul speaks about the role of Israel as regards God's plan and as regards the church age. Now, to many, these chapters are simply something that are so confusing they are to be ignored. And unfortunately, I don't think the theologians have really helped the case by constantly modifying what they want to do with this section. The Reformed, I believe, really nailed this in the early days. They understood correctly that Paul is speaking of the passing away of a national Israelite covenant and the coming to fruition of the final plan and will of God, which was the Christian church, the real and true spiritual Israel of God. Unfortunately, since the Second World War and the tragedies that happened to the Jewish people, it has affected how modern theologians look at this passage. And now, more and more, people are trying to bend over and find a wider role for national Israel in God's plan. This is unfortunate because it has led them down some erroneous paths. What we will look at today, as you will see, fits very well with what we saw early on in chapter 9, particularly verse 6. The Apostle Paul is asking the Roman Christians to consider God has never failed in a single promise that he has made. And though at this present time they do not see God working in national, physical Israel, Paul says God's plan has never failed because not all Israel is Israel. God declares through the Apostle Paul so that we better understand that there are two covenants operating as national Israel exists in the land. You have the everlasting promise, the covenant of grace, called the Abrahamic covenant and also the new covenant, that by which God saves sinners through faith alone. And you have another covenant superimposed where national Israel is brought into the land and told, if you obey all my commands that I've given you in the law, you get to remain in the land. Now Paul distinguishes and he says, the national covenant given through Moses at Sinai, the law covenant of works, never saved anyone. It was always by the Abrahamic covenant, the promise of grace through faith that anyone was ever saved. And so while there were many national Israelites, not all Israel was the true Israel of God. Not all Israel was saved by grace through faith. And so today, when you see the majority of Jews not turning to the gospel, Paul says, look and consider. They never were all believers. They never all obeyed God sincerely from the heart. And that never negated God's promise. Note the argument he gives. He says, by virtue of all the things that we have said already, you cannot assume that God has rejected his people, has he? He says, may it never be, or God forbid. He says, God has not rejected his people. God has not broken his promise because I am an Israelite. I am a physical descendant of Abraham. I am from the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin being the only child of Jacob who was actually born in the promised land. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he, Elijah, pleads with God against Israel. 
And this is after Elijah is chased out because of Jezebel, who has killed all the prophets of God. And so he calls out and says, Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars. And I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. Elijah is calling out to God and saying, the national covenant is over, Lord. The king and the queen despise you. In fact, this queen Jezebel, who has come from the Phoenicians, has so thoroughly obliterated the true worship by killing off the prophets and by destroying the altars in which we offer sacrifices to you, that effectively, I am the only Israelite left. I am the only one faithful to you today. It's all over. You need to give it up, God. Verse 4. But what is the divine response to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Paul says, if you look back at this example from Israel's history, you can understand. Out of a nation of hundreds of thousands or even several in the low millions, God preserves for himself 7,000 men. And he declares that this is sufficient to validate that his covenant is still in effect. So at the time that Paul is writing, it wasn't just 7,000 Israelites who had become Christians. It was probably in the hundreds of thousands, not of a population of 2 or 3 million. That obviously doesn't seem so impressive. But it's still a large number of Israelites who have become Christians as well. And Paul says this is sufficient testimony that God has not abandoned he has promised. He has not abandoned Israel. And therefore, you Gentiles who are now hearing this gospel and wondering, has, is there any value to it if God can't keep his promises? Paul testifies, be assured, God does keep his promises. I am testimony of that as an Israelite. And consider, it never required 100% or even 50% of ethnic Jews to believe for God's covenant promises to remain. Because keep in mind, with only 7,000 men that God says he has kept from idolatry, he still preserves the covenant line and ultimately brings the Christ child. So at this present time, there remains God's people in Israel and among the Gentiles. Verse 5. In the same way then, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Now, this seems like an obvious statement, but what is its purpose in the context? The Apostle Paul is declaring that the people have misunderstood the difference between the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. And the Israelites had been relying on a covenant of works of self-will and obedience by which to obtain the blessing. And Paul says they have misunderstood which covenant saves. It was not the Sinaitic covenant, the Mosaic covenant which saves, but always that underlying Abrahamic covenant which saves. And so if it is by grace, it is not by works. And by grace, God has preserved for himself a remnant. By grace, you are given hope of everlasting life. Therefore, it is by faith in Christ and not of works that you have been called. 
Now consider the importance of this distinction and also what it implies regarding the church. Isaiah 29. Then the Lord said, Because this people draw near to me with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. Therefore, behold, I will once again deal marvelously with this people, marvelously, or wondrously marvelous. And the wisdom of the wise men shall perish, and the discernment of the discerning men shall be concealed. Now, obviously, we tend to use the word wonderful and marvelous in a different way. It tends to be positive. Here is speaking of that which causes wonder or awe, however. God says, my covenant people have basically produced an outward religion of works. Their lips declare that they believe the testimonies that have been given. They offer the sacrifices, but their heart is not there. Inwardly, they are wicked. And they have thought that by playing this game of works righteousness, that I would be pleased with them. But because of their works righteousness and their hypocrisy, I will now bring about judgment on them, and I will close off their eyes and their ears. The wisdom that is available will be hidden from them. They will withdraw more and more into their own foolish hearts because they have abandoned the truth that I have given. There will be no discernment and no wisdom left in Israel. Why is God threatening this? Because God has always promised to Israel, I shall be your defender. I shall be your stronghold. In the time of distress, you may flee to me and I will save you. What had the Israelite monarchs been doing? They had sought alliances with Assyria. They had sought alliances with Egypt. They had sought alliances with King Hadad. They had been trying to work out their own security through their own means and have not trusted God at all, even though they maintained the ritual of the temple ceremonies and the priesthood. And God says, your outward religion has zero meaning for me. I would have preserved you if you simply called on my name. But instead, you thought you would placate me through your religion, but really all your hope and confidence was in your worldly ways of doing business. And so, I'm going to close off any hope of you understanding. Remember the ministry of Isaiah after his vision in the throne room of God. Preach the word in order that their eyes may be closed and their ears shall be stopped up so that they will not hear, so that they will not repent. And when Jesus comes preaching the gospel of good news, he preaches in parables and he quotes that word given to Isaiah. And he says, I speak to a people whom God is judging and their ears will be closed and their eyes will be closed. They will not turn to me and they will be judged. And Paul is taking all of this up and he says, but by grace, God preserved for himself a remnant even when he was judging a large number of physical Israel. Continuing on with physical Israel, verse 15. Woe to those who deeply hide their plans from the Lord as, and those deeds which are done in a dark place. And they say, who sees us or who knows us? You turn things around. Shall the potter be considered as equal with the clay? That what is made should say to its maker, he did not make me. Or what is formed, say to him who formed it, he has no understanding. 
the Israelites have become absolutely foolish, just like the darkened Gentiles. They think that the little gods that they make, that they can turn them around so that God doesn't see what they're doing, is the same as what they can do with the true God of heaven and earth. So they hide their plans, they do their deeds in darkness, and they think that they can manipulate me to do good for them. And God says, this will never happen. I am the one true God, maker of heaven and earth. You are not my equals. You do not declare how I am to treat you. I declare what I shall do. And so here is what I shall do. It is not yet just a little while before Lebanon will be turned into a fertile field, and the fertile field will be considered as a forest. And on that day the deaf shall hear words of a book, and out of the gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. The afflicted also shall increase their gladness in the Lord, and the needy of mankind shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel, because the ruthless will come to an end, and the scorner will be finished. Indeed, all who are intent on doing evil will be cut off, who cause a person to be indicted by a word, and ensnare him who adjudicates at the gate, and defraud the one in the right with meaningless arguments. The day is coming, God says, when the blessing will leave Israel. I'm going to take the blessing to Lebanon, and I will make Lebanon's blessing and fertility grow beyond all compare. You never trusted me. You relied on Assyria. You relied on Egypt. But nowhere will you find help anymore. Those who are the downtrodden, the oppressed, the weak, and the humble, they shall be blessed. Because the day is coming in which I shall deliver them, and I shall destroy the enemy of the weak, the enemy of the widow, the enemy of the orphan, the ones who played games with their human wisdom and sought to defraud the innocent of their money and of their homes. Now here you have, again, a prophecy being given to national Israel where God is declaring that the vast majority of them are no longer doing his will, but have relied on their human wisdom. They are far more concerned with legal technicalities that gain advantage for the rich over the poor and destroy the livelihood of the weak. And they call this justice. And God says, I am going to bring about the day that I will destroy the people who do that. And those who had given up all hope in this life shall receive true hope and life in me. Paul now says... With these things in mind, remember we've already looked at the potter back in chapter 9. We've seen these other prophecies elsewhere already in Romans. Paul says, understanding that this is how God was already speaking to Israel while they were a nation in the promised land. Does it really seem so strange that now, that the Christ has come, that the seed of Abraham was to be a blessing to the nations has arrived and the gospel is being preached? Does it really seem so strange that Many national Israelites are denying the gospel. To him, this is not a problem in terms of fulfilling God's promises. Sure, Paul would love to see all his fellow countrymen saved. He says, if I could be cursed on their behalf, I would do it so that they would all submit to Messiah and receive the blessings promised by God in the gospel. But that is not God's plan. God did not will to deliver them in this way. And so you should not have doubts about God's promise. But by the same token, this will be carried forward. Don't 
presume upon God's grace either. Just because he threw out the Israelites who were unfaithful and called you to be his people. Don't think that now you have some special dispensation of grace whereby you can have an external, outworld, legalistic religion without turning your hearts to God and still be saved. All the same threats apply to us today if we give up the truth. If it is on the basis of grace that God has preserved for himself a faithful remnant, it is no longer of works. If it is on the basis of grace that he preserves a remnant from national Israel, it is only on the basis of grace that he will call Gentiles into the kingdom of God. So if it is by grace alone, then it can only be received by faith alone and not by outward works. If Verse 6 of uh, Romans 11. If it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. What then? That which Israel is seeking for, it has not obtained. But those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened, just as it is written or prophesied. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not and ears to hear not, down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their backs forever. So Paul says, consider, you Romans, consider all you Christians now down through the ages who are hearing the gospel. What is God doing? What has he accomplished? Did God call there to be two separate covenant people for all history? Well, Obviously, the dispensationalists today would say yes. But they are missing a very important thing. We are told that it was never by works that anyone could be saved. It was always the same gracious covenant which saved people that saves us today. And so those who were saved were always saved by grace through faith. And a remnant of physical Israel were those who were saved by grace through faith and are still being saved by grace through faith in Paul's time and up to this very day. What about the national Israelite covenant? What about all those people who are physical descendants of Abraham? The apostle says that God, by his sovereign will, hardened them. God chose to end the national covenant of works with Israel in order that the new covenant would be instituted. He does not keep for himself two peoples. Now, as I said, there will be as you read things, a lot of people who disagree with this interpretation. I don't agree with them, obviously. I believe that the reformers got this correct early on. That we are now the Israel of God. That we are the recipients of the blessings. And the remnant of national Israel, the physical descendants of Abraham and of Jacob, are saved in the same covenant of grace that we are saved in. And together, we are now the true people of God and national Israel. And what about all the others? They did not obtain it because they were not chosen by God. And so here you see again the doctrine of individual election that we looked at in chapter 9 being used in the argument regarding national Israel. Why is that important to see? Because it's bringing together all these things 
so that we can see that this is not a separate section dedicated to Israel. God is teaching us through this how individuals are made part of the church and the role of Israel in having established the church through history. That's what chapters 9 through 11 are doing. So what happens now to us? Well, we have a certain choice to make. One is to say, well, God has given up Israel and has saved us. Probably too humiliating for him to get rid of us. So we're kind of free to do whatever we want. So as long as we show up to church once in a while, as long as we give a little bit of money once in a while, if we can avoid at least the major sins, then we're going to be okay. But you see, that was what Israel was doing. They sought to have a system where they kept the outward religion, but pretty much avoided the truth of the gospel, the truth of the law. And God says, because of their empty word service to me and not the heart service, I rejected them. And I destroyed them so that they can no longer turn to me. And that same warning goes out to the church. That same warning comes to us today. Don't take the gospel of grace lightly. Do not work out your Christianity and have confidence because you didn't murder anyone last week. You didn't fornicate. You didn't commit adultery. You didn't steal. So what? Most pagans didn't get around to all those last week. It is by grace you are saved. And if it is not by your conviction that it is by God's grace, through faith alone, that you receive the blessing of Christ's finished work, and then respond with gratitude, loving God with heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Paul says your religion is worthless. If you don't have love, you are an empty bell just ringing away, actually failing to ring because you don't have the instrument inside to bang around in there. You swing back and forth, but nothing ever comes of it. So we must take seriously now how the Jews took the form but left the substance. And therefore they were rejected. But in this did God's promise fail? Paul's answer is no. The remnant were always preserved. And the promise of deliverance was always to the chosen, the elect of God. And therefore, God's promise never failed. And it will not fail you either. Believe. Embrace the promise by faith. And grow in God's grace. In that way, the truth of the words of pardon that were declared to you today will never depart. You have been saved. God, for the sake of Christ, has forgiven you your sins. Therefore, beloved, rejoice and be glad in him. Our Heavenly Father, make us to see and understand through the example of Israel that you are not fooled. You know what is in our hearts. You know about the empty religion that man practices, seeking to deceive the God or gods or whatever powers are out there. And you warn us, O oh Lord, not to play this game. You tell us to confess that you are the one true God, to humbly submit ourselves to your word, to turn to you and to call upon you to be our only rock and our stronghold and our fortress, to rely upon Christ's blood alone for our deliverance and never our own works, to recognize and confess that we are chosen, saved by grace alone and not of works, or else it would not be grace. And therefore now we, the Israel of God, come before you as your people, knowing that our home is in heaven above. And therefore, the things of this world we will now hold lightly.
We will no longer sin against you in order to accumulate wealth or power or maximize pleasure in this world, knowing that it is by grace alone that we shall receive all things and far in abundance of our deepest desires when you shall finally deliver us to yourself in heaven above. Grant, O Lord, that these words shall not be idle words or babbles coming out, but rather it will truly be the work of the Spirit in us, causing us to conform to your will by grace, that we may be saved, and that we will live for you forevermore. Amen. Let us then consider as we sing Psalm 16 and truly rejoice in God who has given us all things. Let us stand and sing.